there anything better in all of sports than a fighting tournament? The upsets, the intriguing matchups that form organically as the rounds progress. The climactic finish with a single fighter being the only one left standing. Whether it's one night or takes place over the course of a year, there's nothing quite like it. And the best of the best tournaments are always the ones with a surprise winner. So today we're going to take a look at 10 high-profile tournaments that ended up with winners who defied all the odds, battled their way through the brackets, and emerged victorious in the end, despite nobody believing they had a chance. I'm Tommy from MMA on Point, and UFC 266 is inbound. So come jump on board with Bet Online, the official partners to MMA on Point. This weekend, during our live UFC 266 fight companion featuring UFC light heavyweight contender Paul Craig and Ring of Honor pro wrestling star Joe the Answer Hendry, you can play along with us using the code on point to get a 50% sign-up bonus, good for up to $1,000. More on that later, but for now, here are the 10 most unexpected tournament champions in MMA history. Number 10, Ikuhisa Minawa. The Dream Super Hulk Grand Prix 2009. It is the Jake Paul of MMA tournaments. Just an absolute disaster. A farce. Look at this mess. Bob Sapp, Hongman Choi, Jan Norte, Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco? Tell me you didn't pay money for this. So could you. Mark Hunt. Oh my god, poor Gegard Basasi. You deserve so much better than this. And of course, you couldn't have a tournament full of freak shows without throwing in the giant killer himself, Ikuhisa Minowa. While 41, 30, and 8 going into the tournament, Minowa Man was a beloved figure in Japanese MMA for while fighting enormous people. Zulazinho, Butterbean, Giant Silva. He was also unafraid to take on absolute murderers like Rampage, Vandy, and Krokop. He didn't beat any of them, but he got in the ring. Minowa Man started the tourney strong by submitting Bob Sapp with an Achilles lock in just over a minute. Shockingly, Jose Canseco did not advance, so next Ikuhisa would fight Hongman Choi and slay another giant, this time with a second round heel hook. The other half of the brackets played out a bit wackier. Gegard Basasi defeated Mark Hunt, then bowed out of the tournament with an injury. I'm assuming the injury was embarrassment for being in included in this thing. The tournament's third giant, Jan Norte, would be TKO'd by Sokaju in their opener, and since Musasi backed out, Bob Sapp was brought back again to lose in the semifinals, setting up the unlikeliest of Giant Man finals, Minowa versus Sokaju. A huge betting underdog going in, Minowa Man would score the victory of his career on its biggest stage, main eventing Dynamite 2009 in front of 45,000 people at Sayatama Super Arena, a shocking third round KO by the submission specialist, forever cementing his legendary status in Japanese MMA history. Number 9. Emmanuel Newton Whenever anybody brings up the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team who won gold at Lake Placid, they of course discuss the miracle on ice. The unbelievable upset win against the unbeatable Soviet Union. Do you believe in miracles? Probably the greatest call in sports history, it made Al Michaels' career. What most people don't discuss is that the U.S. didn't win the gold on that night. They had to beat Finland a few days later to actually win the tournament. Emmanuel Newton's miracle on ice happened in the semifinals of the Bellator Season 8 Light Heavyweight Tournament. Newton was set to take on King Mo Mohamed Lal. Mo, the former Strike Force Light Heavyweight Champion, had only ever lost once in his career, and after making the move to Bellator, he was expected to burn through the Season 8 tournament. This was a man who had defeated Gegard Masasi, so of course he would be a minus 1175 favorite on the night. There was pretty much zero expectation that Emmanuel had any chance in hell of pulling off the victory. Then it happened, the most perfectly placed opportune spinning backfist in MMA history. King Mo froze up like a scratched up DVD and it was over. 2 minutes 35 of the very first round, one of the all-time great upsets in Bellator history. Luckily for Newton, he would go on to defeat his Finland in the form of Mihal Zayats to win the tournament. The fairy tale doesn't end there, though. Oh, well, it ain't gonna happen again. Emmanuel would defeat Mo a second time more definitively and have a stint as Bellator light heavyweight champion. Number 8. Kazushi Sakuraba 
Kingdom Pro Wrestling, an offshoot promotion of UWFI founded by Nobuhiko Takata, was struggling to find crowds in 1997. KPW was all about realistic shoot-style wrestling. The problem was MMA was starting to take off, so why not just watch the real thing? In order to strengthen their legitimacy, Takata sent Hiramitsu, Kanihara, and Yoji Anjo to compete in the UFC Ultimate Japan Tournament. When Kanihara got injured right before the event, one of the promotion's biggest stars, Kazushi Sakuraba, was asked to fill in in his place. The four-man tournament started off horribly for Kingdom Pro Wrestling. Tank Abbott would beat Anjo in a decision, and Sakuraba, who was horribly undersized, was getting absolutely pieced up against the cage two minutes into his bout with Marcus Silvera. In an attempt to stop the onslaught, Kazushi shot in hard and fast on a takedown, only for John McCarthy to mistakenly assume he had been KO'd and stop the fight. After some review and discussion, the bout was overturned to a no contest. The winner of the tournament by default should have been Abbott, but Tank broke his hand in the first fight and didn't plan on advancing anyway. So instead of a shitty ending to a disaster of a tournament, the UFC decided to just have Sakuraba and Silvera run it back to determine the tourney champ. This time, Kazushi was able to secure an armbar victory in the first round. Not bad for a last-minute replacement pro wrestler who was essentially making his MMA debut. Kingdom Pro Wrestling would dissolve a year later, but Sakuraba would go on to be an MMA legend. Number 7. Tofik Musayev when Ryzen announced their eight-man lightweight Grand Prix tournament for 2019, one man stood out as the obvious odds-on favorite to win it all, and that was Patricky Pitbull. He had the most KOs in Bellator history, the most fights in the lightweight division, and two-season tournament runner-up finishes. He'd fought the best of the best over the years, like Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez, and had wins over the likes of Josh Thompson, Benson Henderson, and David Rickles. Pitbull favorably drew Kawajiri in the first round, whom he crushed with a flying knee in just over a minute to advance to the semifinals. Someone pretty much nobody was talking about was Tofik Musayev, who was on an 11-fight win streak that mostly took place on the regional circuits. He would defeat Darren Cruikshank via decision to qualify for the tournament and headkick murdered Damian Brown before finishing him on the mat to advance to the semifinals. The rest of the tournament would take place on New Year's Eve at Ryzen 20. Musayev's first opponent, UFC vet Johnny Case. He would score the TKO victory, took him less than three minutes. Pitbull then destroyed Luis Gustavo. Going into the night, Patricky was a minus 1100 favorite, and he proved those odds correct by decimating his young opponent in just 28 seconds. Despite his performance, Musayev was still a huge underdog going into the final against Pitbull. The two would have an absolute war, but as time expired, it was clear that Tofik was running away with it against his far more high-profile opponent. All three judges saw it for Musayev, and one more time, Patricky Pitbull would come up just short of being the best. Number 6. Mirko Krokop one of the most disappointing UFC runs in history has to be that of Mirko Krokop. For a time in pride, one of the greatest heavyweights in the world, he just never quite got there once he entered the octagon. And fans' memories of his stints are not exactly positive. His time there ending with an abrupt retirement after a USADA suspension was levied for the use of HGH, something he admitted to to help him heal from an injury, but was actually never found in any tests. A year into the suspension, Krokop decided to rage against the machine and fight for Ryzen in Japan where USADA could do nothing. The guy was 42 years old, the last thing he cared about was pulsing picograms. Just let the man left leg cemetery people in peace. Ryzen, in the spirit of the awesomeness that is Japanese MMA, entered Krokop into their 16-fighter openweight Grand Prix tournament. The initial names attached to this thing were pretty epic. Vanderlei Silva, Shane Carwin was meant to return, Yuri Prohaska, Kas Fujita, world champion wrestler Amir Ali Akbari. I can't say I would have picked Mirko to win this whole thing. With Vandy never appearing in the tournament, he was replaced by King Mo and served as Krokop's second opponent. He didn't even need the legs to get this one done. Dropped Law with his hands to advance to the semifinals, where he would gut punch Big Chungus himself Estonian sumo wrestler Baruto on his way to the tournament championship. The silliness of some aspects of this tournament aside, the main event was no joke. Ali Akbari was new to MMA, but the man had a top-tier wrestling background. Didn't matter though, two minutes in, Mirko got his big KO and a late career resurgence to wipe the bad taste of that UFC run out of fans' mouths. Number 5. Daniel Cormier 
Scott Coker and Strikeforce kicked off 2011 with an absolute juggernaut of an announcement. A heavyweight Grand Prix. Just like the old days in Pride, and what a lineup they had planned for this thing. Fedor, Bigfoot Silva, The Ream, Josh Barnett, Andre Arlovsky, Brett Rogers, Fabricio Verdum, Sergei Karatanov. Don't tell me the UFC wasn't worried about Strikeforce. That bracket's absolutely incredible. Notice that I didn't mention Daniel Cormier there? Weird, right? This whole entry is about him. Yeah, so DC wasn't originally supposed to compete in the Grand Prix. He didn't feel as if he was even ready for it. He was only 6 and as a pro at the time of the tournament's announcement, and while of course he had his Olympic wrestling pedigree and was the king of the cage heavyweight champion, he was still just starting out, and these were the biggest names Strikeforce had to offer. Over the course of the quarterfinals playing out, DC would win two more fights in Strikeforce, defeating Devin Cole and Jeff Munson. That second victory gave DC reserve bout status for the GP should someone drop out. And wouldn't you know it, five weeks before Oberyn was to fight Bigfoot Silva, he was removed from the tournament over contract issues, and so Cormier was in. To the surprise of everyone, DC would KO Bigfoot in the first round, for tossing Josh Barnett all over the place in the finals to become the tournament's champion. By this time, fans had given DC a new nickname, Black Fedor. But it sounds cool, Daniel. It is pretty cool. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, you know, I don't want to seem too excited, you know, but it does, it is pretty cool. From essentially unknown to being compared to one of the greatest in just a few fights. Number four, Mark Coleman. The Pride FC 2000 Openweight Grand Prix Tournament is ultimately a tale of redemption. Mark Coleman, after bursting onto the MMA scene as this seemingly unstoppable force, two UFC tournament wins, the first ever heavyweight championship, had fallen on hard times in the late 90s. First, his title was shockingly taken from him by Maurice Smith at UFC 14. Then he was KO'd by Pete Williams, a loss nobody had expected. Following a split decision defeat against Pedro Hizo, Coleman hit the lowest point of his career. He headed to Japan to collect a paycheck and take a dive against Nobuhiko Takada at Pride 5. The Hammer only had one win since 1997 when he entered the 2000 Grand Prix, and by that time everyone was expecting him to be bested by his undefeated protege Mark Kerr, one of the tournament's big favorites. Both fighters would win their opening round bouts in January and head to the single night finals. Three fights to win it all. The card started with a shock. Kaz Fujita defeated Kerr, but Coleman would win his quarterfinal bout and be gifted a victory in the semis as Fujita's team would throw in the towel at the start of the fight due to injuries he suffered against the smashing machine. Who's the win, Cole? Mark Coleman was one win away from redemption, from being the best in the world again. He would face Igor Vochanchin in the finals. The Ukrainian was 42-2. He hadn't lost in 36 straight fights over five years. The Hammer took it to Igor all fight, though, smothering his opponent from the top before unloading some brutal knees to the head, forcing Vochanchin to tap. Mark Coleman had been redeemed. Number 3. Shogun Hua when you look at the Pride 2006 Middleweight Grand Prix Tournament lineup, it is just beyond stacked. I mean, holy shit! Sakuraba, Ricardo Arona, Kevin Randleman, Vanderlei Silva, Alistair Overeem, Vitor Belfort, Dan Henderson, Rampage Jackson, Nogueira, Vochanchin. It might be the single greatest tournament in MMA history. And of course, the other star name I've left out, a name that is huge because of this tournament, Mauricio Shogun Hua. When you look at the insane talent this 16-man bracket had to offer, you'd be an absolute liar if you said that you were picking Shogun before this thing started. First of all, this is Vanderlei Silva in his legendary prime as middleweight champion. Of course he would be the favorite going in. Duh. And Hua had a horrible draw. He would get Rampage Jackson in the first round. Talk about a tough break. Everybody knew Shogun was good, but he was the junior talent coming out of shooter box behind Vanderlei. He came into the tournament 8-1 with four pride victories, but they weren't exactly against world beaters. Fans were stunned when Hua brutalized Rampage in the first round of the tournament, beating the former title contender down with vicious knees and soccer kicks. Next, young Shogun would defeat a Brazilian legend in Rogério Nogueira, before arriving at Pride Final Conflict 2005. He'd need two wins on the night. Vanderlei Silva would shockingly fall to Ricardo Arona on the second bout of the card, right before Hua's semifinal victory over Alistair Overeem, leaving Shogun to avenge his teammate in the finals, which he did. And just like that, overnight, Hua had cast doubt about who was the best 205-pound fighter in the world. 
Number 2. Steve Jenham you know your tournament win is unexpected when you just show up in the finals for the first time. Hoist Gracie had won the first two UFC tournaments. He was the favorite going into the third. But if this clusterfuck of an event has taught us anything, it's that tournament-style shows, especially one-night tournaments, can fall apart fast. Everyone was anticipating a big showdown between Hoist and the returning Ken Shamrock in the finals. The two were prominently featured in the promotional poster for the event. In the first round, though, Gracie would take on Kimo Leopoldo, an absolute unit who put it on Hoist far more than he anticipated. Gracie won with an arm lock, but tussling with 235 pounds for nearly five minutes is exhausting. His corner would throw in the towel before his semifinal bout against Harold Howard. Shamrock won his first two bouts, which should have put him in the finals, but once he got wind that Hoist had pulled out, he withdrew because he damaged his knee in the opener and didn't think it was even worth continuing if it wasn't going to be against Gracie. That left Harold Howard, who got a bye essentially to the finals, with no opponent but tournament alternate Steve Jenham, who had fought exactly zero times that night. The ninjutsu fighter would make quick work of his Canadian foe, sealing his tournament victory in under 90 seconds. Who could have seen that one coming. UFC 3 was subtitled The American Dream, and I can't think of anything that embodies it more than showing up at the last minute and winning a single fight to become tournament champion. Steve Jenham, you fucking legend. Number 1. Hoist Gracie as fun as Jinnam's story is, we couldn't make a list of unexpected tournament winners without of course mentioning the original overachiever Hoist Gracie and his legendary victory at the first ever UFC tournament. Most of the viewing audience didn't likely have a clue what they were in for when a skinny guy in a gi showed up to an ass-kicking contest that included a sumo wrestler and a bunch of strikers primarily. Chosen specifically by the family because he would appear to be the underdog, Gracie made quick work of Art Jimerson, who was so flustered by the whole thing he ended up tapping for essentially no reason at all. Next it was muscle-bound Ken Shamrock, who got a sub of his own in the quarterfinals, a perfect second matchup to show that size and strength aren't everything. And then Gracie would sub the 6'5 colossal D-bag Gerard Gordeaux in the finals, who started the show off by kicking someone's teeth out. He beat a boxer, a jacked-up shoot fighter, and a tall traditional martial artist Western audiences were accustomed to assuming would win a fight. Honestly, it couldn't have gone better. A whole generation of fight fans was born, captivated by the Gracie family and their gentle art. The cliché tropes films had implanted in the average American viewer's mind about who would win a fight and how was flipped on its head entirely, and the catalyst was a single unexpected win in what was slowly becoming mixed martial arts. So of course, it had to be number one. Thanks again to our official partners, Bet Online. Make sure to come and join us this weekend for our live UFC 266 in-studio fight companion featuring UFC light heavyweight contender Paul Craig and Ring of Honor Pro Wrestling star Joe the Answer Hendry. You can play along with us at betonline.ag using the code ONPOINT to get a 50% sign-up bonus good for up to $1,000. See you at the violence, fight fans. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette, who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. All right, that's all I got for you. Thanks for watching. Please like, subscribe, and have a wonderful day.